I still wanted to like cling to those things that made me feel comfortable about my faith and my like mm -hmm. theology. But I obviously had these new experiences too. people who disagreed adamantly with me. Um, I was now opening myself up to being in a same sex relationship, which I had always heard was wrong and, yeah. and sinful and an abomination. So I was like giving a little bit, but still like trying to stand my ground on some things um, so that because I think it was part of my identity. And like if my entire identity changes, then I don't know who I am. Hello and welcome to Out Loud. Out Loud is a podcast by and for queer people of faith in the South. Here we tell our stories of varied religious upbringings, messy coming outs, and the gift of community with one another. That voice you just heard was Wesley King. Wesley was raised Southern Baptist in Alabama and now finds himself as the Minister of Music at Eastwood Christian Disciples of Christ Church here in Nashville. The Disciples of Christ, often known as the DOC, are a denomination that allows individual churches to discern their stance on affirming LGBTQIA folks, and Eastwood is just one of two DOC churches in Nashville with an affirming stance. Wesley has his Bachelor's of Education in Music from the University of Alabama and is currently attending Lexington Theological Seminary. He's also the incoming Artistic Director for the local affirming choir, Nashville in Harmony. Wesley identifies as gay with the gender pronouns he, him, his. Our conversation is a journey through Wesley's gradual shift from the strict and literal adherence to scripture growing up to asking questions about everything, particularly when he arrived here in Nashville. As he's been able to be more true to himself and how he identifies, we hear him living into his role as a minister at his church and in his community. If you want to view the transcript or learn more about the resources mentioned in this episode, head on over to outloudstories.com while you're listening. While you're there, you'll also see our new partners page. This season, we're proud to be partnering with churches that affirm queer people here in Middle Tennessee. You'll see Eastwood on there, along with this episode's sponsor, West End United Methodist Church. West End's mission is to live the light the loving light of Christ, so that lives and communities are transformed by God's grace. Everyone is welcome at West End. They gather as the people of God with a wide range of religious backgrounds, education levels, political and theological perspectives, and they value that diversity. They welcome and celebrate the gifts God has given to everyone. Every age, race, gender identity, sexual orientation, economic and family status, ethnicity, and mental and physical ability. When it is healthy for large groups to gather, West End's in-person worship times are on Sundays at 8.45 and 11 a.m. They also have an excellent live stream, which you can find on their website or on Facebook. You can also look for West End's booth at the next Nashville Pride Festival. To learn more, visit the link to West End's website in our show notes. And now, let's hear from Wesley King. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for being here. Um, I want to start off just by asking you what your faith was like growing up. Yeah. Um, I grew up in a fundamentalist Southern Baptist church. My dad's father, my grandfather, was um, a Southern Baptist minister. Until he turned 80, he was working in ministry. Um, and actually just passed away this past January. Um, so I grew up in a very conservative, um, fundamentalist kind of faith background. Um, it was all I knew too. So I didn't know that it was all those things. I just thought it was, mm -hmm. this is, this is faith. This is what this is. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was a lot <laughs> is what I tell people. It was a lot. Yeah. Did, um, what was... What was your church experience like? Were you guys going to church every Sunday? Like what was what was yeah. your church life like? Yeah, so pretty much anytime the doors were open. Okay. Um, Sunday morning, Sunday evening, um, Wednesday night when I got into the youth group, I was there 
a pretty good bit. And then I started working there oh, wow. as okay. like a pianist. So okay. I was there even more like practicing. So I was pretty immersed in it. Uh, my grandfather, like I said, was also a, a minister. So we would also go to his church a lot as well. Okay. So you didn't attend his church regularly? No. Was he no. another part of town or? Yes. Okay. Yeah. He was like 30, 40 minutes away. So what was, um, as far as like your family, like who was the one kind of, were you all on board with going to church every Sunday? Was there one of you who kind of led the charge each week or? Um, I think that we all kind of just assumed it was something we did. Yeah. Um, I mean, we'd obviously like grope and grime about like not wanting to go and I want to stay home and watch TV or whatever. But for the most part, we knew that this is just what we do on these days of the week. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think, and I think most people like at least deep down had this feeling like this is what we're supposed to do. Yeah. Even if they didn't want to. (laughs) Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I was raised Roman Catholic. And so I know that deep sense of like Mm -hmm. obligation and like, there's almost this implicit understanding that like, if you don't go to church on Sunday, like you're, you're going to need to go to confession and like confess this to somebody and explain why you weren't there. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and in a small town, then everyone knows if you're not at church because they know where your seat is in the pew and you're not there. So it was also, I think a part of a, like a social thing too, that, um, well, I don't want to explain why we didn't go to church. So, Mm -hmm. um, we're going, (laughs) how big was the town you grew up in? Um, I don't know numbers of like population, but we only had a caution light. Oh, wow. Not even even a stoplight. It is, it is now grown to a stoplight. I was just home (laughs) a couple weeks ago. Um, and we had like a little general store, but that's about it. That's, that's great. So was that, was the church you were going to, was that the only church in town or? No, there were, um, there was also a few Methodist churches and another, uh, a couple other um, Southern Baptist churches and then some predominantly black congregations, but um, not a ton though. Tell me about your, your grandfather who was a minister. Like what was his influence on you? So my grandfather was um, a huge influence on me. He was also a musician, um, self-taught and could pick up and play, figure out whatever he wanted to on any instrument, I feel like. Um, And was just, though I probably would disagree with him on most theological points, um, he was just such a loving man and always willing to help, always willing to be that person to volunteer. So he really put forth like a a servant attitude. that influenced me a lot and he was um i was his first grandchild and he Mm -hmm. let everybody know that everybody knew that um that he had a grandson and and was always like promoting me when i was starting doing music and stuff like that and would write articles in the little town newspaper and would not um wouldn't uh consult with me to see if he got the facts right so would just like (laughs) make up a bunch of stuff about like, (laughs) oh, he wrote this song and would get the title wrong. And he plays this instrument. No, I don't like it's, he just would like make up all this stuff, but he's just like on this bragging spree about me. And most of it was wrong, but, but he loved it. And he, he wanted to let everybody know about his grandson. I love that. Yeah. That is small town life when like the minister's got a column in the paper. Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. And like there were typos, like there was no editing. It was just, aside from the facts being wrong, it was just a, it was pretty poorly written. But yeah, but it was his. <laughs> Did people read it regularly? Oh yeah, <laughs> oh yeah. And they would come up to me and ask me about these these facts, and I was like, I didn't want to be like, oh no, my grandfather's just making things up. Yeah. Um, or he has the facts wrong, but I'd just be like, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> So in a way, it's like you were a preacher's kid in some sense, it sounds yes. like. like yes. People knew you. They knew mm-hmm. who you were. They were kind of involved in your life, yes. whether he you knew them a, or not. <laughs> absolutely. He was a very prominent preacher in that area. And so okay. just we couldn't go anywhere without someone knowing who he was, Yeah, you know, going to dinner or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. And I can imagine that that ends up making your faith like even more so part of like your identity. Yes. Yeah. 
Yeah. When did you, when did you start to kind of take ownership of your faith growing up? Um, you know, I don't feel like I really took ownership until way later in life. Okay. I feel like for the most part, I was just regurgitating, you know, what other people had taught me or told me, sure. um, what I knew to be comfortable. Um, I'd probably say I would, I didn't really take ownership of what I actually believed until like later in college. Mm. And when I moved here to Nashville. Yeah. Yeah. What, um, what was going on for you in college that kind of made things shift? Well, um, first of all, my hometown was just, was very, um, closed and was very, um, like everybody believed the same things politically, Mm -hmm. theologically, socially. Um, so it wasn't until college that I really met people who to the core disagreed with everything that I had to say. Yeah. Um, and that shook me because I just hadn't had that experience prior to that. So I had never met people who just didn't believe the same way I did about politics or church or anything like that. Um, so to then have all these other varying opinions, um, plus going through my own inner struggles with like sexuality and things like that. Yeah. I think it was just a, it was a very trying time in my brain. I bet. Um, So it was just, um, it was very like, I, I like loved all my new friends, but, at the core, I still kind of like believed that they were wrong about everything. Mm. So it was like, I love them. I'm really excited to like start this new chapter of my life with them being part of it. But I didn't know how to, like, I didn't even know how to agree to disagree. Like we just have a lot of arguments and things like that. And yeah, yeah, that's, it got messy. I bet. Yeah. Yeah. What, um, what was, I mean, what was, what was that like trying to like argue your faith to someone for the first time? I, the thing that always sticks out in my mind is, so when I first, when I had my first like boyfriend yeah. in college, freshman year of college, um, super closeted, nobody, nobody knew. Um, so I'd obviously opened my mind up to at least accept that this could be something I could be a part of. Mm-hmm. But I remember one time getting in an argument. He was also raised um, Roman Catholic okay. out of uh, New Orleans. Okay. And um, I remember us arguing about who and who wasn't like going to hell. Mm. And um, I just cringe thinking back about what the things I was saying. But like it was just that time where I was I still wanted to like cling to those things that made me feel comfortable about my faith and my like mm-hmm. theology, but I obviously had these new experiences too. People who disagreed adamantly with me. Um, I was now opening myself up to being in a same sex relationship, which I had always heard was wrong and, yeah. and sinful and an abomination. So I was like giving a little bit, but still like trying to stand my ground on some things um, so that, cause I think it was part of my identity. And like, if my entire identity changes, then I don't know who I am. So I was clinging to those things. Um, it got messy. It really did. I totally get that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I experienced the same thing in the, yeah. the Catholic church. It was just like, Oh wait, there's, <laughs> if this is who I'm really attracted to, then like so much of my faith just comes like, so much of what I've been told to believe all these years kind of starts mm-hmm. to crumble. Like it's not just like what the church says about homosexuality, but it's also like what the church says about like relationships and mm-hmm. chastity and like all these other things. And you're like, and it was really difficult. Yeah. I think also having like a fundamentalist faith, mm. I can't like just let things go because part of, part of what I was messing, uh, wrestling with too, was that I, I was not supposed to doubt. I wasn't supposed to question. Mm. I was just supposed to be, have the faith of a child kind of thing. And so not only was I going against what I had been told, I was like questioning it. So even just the act of 
discerning seemed like it was sinful and it was wrong because I had been taught that this is what this is the word of God. This is what you do. And you don't ask questions. Yeah. So that made it even harder. I think it adds a layer to it. Totally. Yeah. And it's ironic because in college, like that's all you're doing is asking. Absolutely. Questions. Yes. Where did it? It sounds like it was a messy time. Where were you finding? Um, were you, Were you able to find kind of any any guidance through those questions at that time? Some, um, I honestly think a lot of the answers to my questions didn't come until a lot later, but I was definitely still making them. Um, I was, I was a church musician, so I was like subbing and filling in at a lot of different churches. Mm. Um, and even in a kind of like college rural town in Alabama, it's, it's still like open you up to a little bit more of a perspective of other people. Um, and that was, that was helping me kind of like expand my thought process surrounding, uh, church and theology. Um, also just being in a collegiate academic environment and having, you know, professors who are very, um, progressive and liberal and all these things that I'd been taught was wrong. And, but hearing them and I was like, that actually makes a lot of sense. Um, I don't know. It should make sense because I've heard it was wrong, but it does. So there were little pockets of, uh, experiences that kind of stretched me and, and helped me expand. I don't think that I really, like I said, took ownership of my faith or kind of got some answers to some questions or at least the tools to maybe make those decisions for myself until a lot later. So probably when I moved to Nashville. Yeah. Yeah. So during that, that this kind of questioning, discerning time, were you still regularly going to a Southern Baptist church? Um, up until I was like 24 years old, I was. Okay. Um, it was like, not only was I, it was my home church, but I was also working there, yeah. um, as a pianist getting paid hardly nothing by the way. <laughs> um, yeah. and, uh, but I was also like, I was playing at a United Methodist church at their early cause their service was early. And then I would like fly down the road to the Baptist church and play there. I didn't go as regularly, mm-hmm. um, towards the end of like college because I just couldn't go because I just hated it (laughs) so much. Um, But for the, for the, I still had like my membership quote unquote there. Yeah. Stuff like that. So still had some kind of connection. And by the time you were finishing up college, were you, were you more out or were you still in the closet? Um, I had not come out to my family. I actually didn't come out to my family until 2015. Okay. Um, and so I was out to like my friends and like people in college knew, um, even though I kind of went back and forth in and out of the closet. Um, and for the most part, people in college knew, no family knew, no church people knew. Yeah. Um, Cause they couldn't, but at that point, but um, I was kind of like toying with being more out and open about it. Yeah. What was, um, what was it like kind of during that time when you were first coming out to yourself? Like what questions were you grappling with around mm. then? Um, that was probably around middle school. Oh, wow. So when okay. I first like kind of started thinking maybe I was different in some, in some capacity. Um, I mean, I feel like it's, it's pretty the, the typical like Southern, um, queer kid like praying for God to make you or change you back or Mm -hmm. to make you like straight or uh or at least to like remove these thoughts or feelings that you have about somebody or for somebody um so did a lot of that um and just was like thinking it was something I could control so I was like, okay, well maybe, maybe I just need to like not act on it. I had these like thought processes of like, okay, well, if God's not going to do something about it, I have to do something about it. Um, so that was kind of the, the pro the thought process when I first started coming out. Um, as I got into college, there were a few openly gay people or, or, um, 
or at least assumedly gay people. Um, but for the most part, a lot of people were still very closeted, even though they might have had relationships or had a few people that were really close to them that knew. But mm-hmm. for the most part, a lot of people were still very hush-hush about it. So I'm curious what happened when you were 24. Like what was, you said that that was kind of a a moment where things started to click a little more. Yeah. What was going on then? Well, I moved to Nashville. Okay. Um, and it was the first time I was really on my own. Um, when I went to college, I really wanted to move away to college, but the... University of Alabama is in my hometown and they gave me like a full ride. So I was like, I can't just, you know, pass this up. So I went to a college that was only 30 minutes away from my parents' house. So I like never got that experience of like finding out who I was. I just kind of had to keep the same identity I had grown up with with high school whereas a lot of these other people were able to reinvent themselves or start anew or whatever so when i moved to nashville it was that experience for me yeah um being able to start anew to kind of like reinvent myself to kind of figure out who i want to be um and i was able to do that um towards the end of college i had started the uh, confirmation process in the Episcopal Church and had or once I had moved to Nashville I finished that confirmation process at St. David's Um, and I met with a priest one-on-one and I got to ask all the questions I wanted to Um, and so I was like I'm not I'm not questioning you. I just genuinely need an like your perspective because sure. I don't know what I think or believe. So I asked him a bunch of questions, probably all ludicrous, but um, <laughs> and it was it was that like and I did that right when I moved to Nashville. So huh. moving to Nashville, um, finding my own work and jobs, um, finding my own faith here, like the whole experience was very formative. So. You've been in Nashville for a few years, mm-hmm. and you've also started becoming more comfortable coming out to folks kind of before then, too? Um, in in certain contexts, yes. Okay. Yeah. When I first moved to Nashville, I worked at a, a evangelical um, um, music publishing company. Okay. And so obviously did not feel comfortable there. But now that the last couple of years I've been working at um, companies that are very pro LGBTQ um, have won awards about how inclusive they've been and, and work awesome. to be. So um, finding those spaces has been really good because I've felt way more comfortable to knowing that I'm in a safe space to, to be able to just share things or not have to hide things rather. Yeah. I mean, between like having a workplace where you're comfortable to mm-hmm. be out and also having like a church to be comfortable yeah. and for that church to feel like it has some roots in what you grew up into like yeah. that i'm sure that had to feel mm-hmm. i'm sure that has felt just really good <laughs> very freeing yeah. yeah um just knowing like ahead of time going into this church job somewhere that i like you know as as a job it's somewhere i like one to be for a while and also like as a person of faith it's somewhere i want to like be able to like invest as well um in in their mission and so going into uh going into eastwood knowing that they're open and affirming and that all these walls that i built up and having to use like gender neutral pronouns about maybe people i've dated or dating um all these like precautions that i would take in these other jobs, knowing that I just didn't have to do that there was just a breath of fresh air. Yeah. Um, and super freeing. And I'm like, I've jumped into Eastwood being very involved, whereas some of the other churches, it was just more of a job. I did what I did and then was done. And I 
try to do a good job and I think people enjoyed it, but I wasn't like invested. Yeah. And so finding a place where I can like, oh, I could, you know, get married here. I could have kids here. Um, those kinds of things. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like that's, that's what some churches are missing out on is, you know, if, if their stance is ambiguous or unaffirming, we're not going to want to just jump right in. Right. Um, like that. That's awesome. How has, um, how has Eastwood kind of communicated its stance of inclusion to the community? Yeah. Um, I think Eastwood's did a pretty, a pretty decent job. Um, on the website, there's a very blunt and just kind of to the point statement of inclusion. Yeah. Uh, and there's also information about being open and affirming. Um, it's also communicated in our literature. So like the bulletin has a very explicit statement of inclusion printed on the front. Yeah. Um, um, also, look, we've got some banners um, that are outside of the church that have a pride flag on it. Um, we actually did our we actually had our first um, official booth at Pride this year. Eastwood has been involved at Pride for a long time, but we actually had our first booth there. So just to like put our name out there. Totally. Um, so I think they do a pretty good job about being intentional about not just being welcoming or friendly but being affirming and knowing um knowing that that's a huge difference so i think they've done a really good job yeah yeah how's the um how how has the community been there for you it's been amazing it really has um i have really felt like um I kind of go back and forth in some ways I want to be uh, I want to be celebrated as an LGBTQ person and I feel like that's important um, to remind people that um, God delights in you and Mm -hmm. that um, you are fearfully and wonderfully made like you know talk about how you as a queer person are made in the image of God I think that's great and then on the other side of that, I also love just being treated like everybody else yeah. and not made to feel like my relationship is different, treated like everyone else would treat a straight couple or a straight person. Yeah. So like, I love both sides of that. Um, and I think that there's importance in both of them. So the community has been great. Um, I've made tons of friends there. Um, I've made... I've had a lot of people who have stepped into some parental type roles with me um, when I've not been able to do that with my biological parents. Mm. Um, and I've had people just like, you know, reach out to be like, hey, y'all should come to dinner, like things like that. That's great. Those small things that that make you feel like any other couple. Um, but knowing that they know full well that you're a gay couple and they still want you to come join in on this meal, you know, things like that. It's really important. And I, I, I've found the community there to be amazing. That's awesome. That's outstanding. Yeah. What, um, what has your family's response been since you've come out? So it's been a struggle. Um, when I first came out, it was because I was, I came out over text. I don't recommend it. Um, (laughs) I came out over text because we were arguing um, via text about the Supreme Court ruling. Mm. Um, And so it was a struggle. Came out to my mom first. She had a really hard time. Uh, And then she ended up telling my dad. And I initially thought that um, my dad would, would be kind of chill about it. Probably wouldn't be excited about it, but obviously wouldn't be really, really care. He's a pretty carefree guy. <clears throat> and then my mom would be the one that really struggled and it ended up being the opposite. Hmm. And I was really shocked at that. My yeah. dad had a really hard time, still has a really hard time with it has went to therapy. I don't know what kind of therapy it might've been like a Christian therapist who is just reinforcing his own views. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and my mom has, has come a long way. So it's yeah. very opposite of what I initially thought. It yeah. would be like, um, 
I found that, or I know I knew ahead of time. My family's really good at not talking about things. So sounds like a southern family. Yes. <laughs> so we'll t- we'll like I went to I went home this let's see last weekend or two weekends ago, and now all all of my family knows, and it didn't really come up at all, um, except with my mom. Um, so my mom's made probably the the most progress. Um, but I've also found that different stages of this like queer life, they re- react to differently. Mm. So mm-hmm. when I first came out, they didn't like it. I felt like they were kind of getting on board. And then when I told them I was going to propose to Tyler, um, that kind of set us back a lot. Mm. Um, wow. Both of them, both my mom, who I thought had made a lot of progress, and my dad, both just adamantly were very opposed to it. And I think it was more of like they thought that this could be something they could just keep hush-hush kind of and not talk about and not to deal with. And mm-hmm. But when you start making it a, a public, a legal, a religious <laughs> ceremony like this isn't going anywhere yeah. this is your life yeah yeah like yeah. this it, it makes it more real for them and totally. i didn't talk to them for a while mm. um still hardly talk to my dad about anything um but my mom has come a long way i feel like once she saw that this is just who i am and this is what i'm gonna do um she was like well i want to be a part of your life so i'm gonna be there so she's she's made significant strides yeah um in these last even these last few months um i talked to her about i talked on the phone and she was like i'm watching this movie about this mormon girl who was who came out as a lesbian and her family disowned her it's terrible and i was like you know this would this conversation would have never happened you know a couple years ago yeah um and just offering to like help with the wedding and um, that's we, awesome we just bought a house and actually closed monday so like congratulations let's, let's <laughs> thank you they're like let's um let's let me come up and help you paint and you know yeah. being offering to be to be present it's just been it's been great um as far as my extended family um some of them have been great and some of them we just i know that they know but we just don't talk about it yeah mm-hmm did you were you able to come out to your grandfather? No, no, no. Did he? Did you think he knew anything? Or I don't think so. Okay. Um, this is actually a, a really, um, a really like poignant conversation I've had with myself recently about like. At one point, I at some point, I really like wanted him to know who I am. Yeah. Um, both he and my grandmother are very kind of stuck on who I was. Um, anytime I see them, they talk about how I was as a baby, or mm-hmm. you know, I was their first grandkid, and this is these are the stories they tell, probably because that was their prime. They're really, you know, living then. Um, mm-hmm. And so they always tell these stories, and I'm like, you know, I, I'm. 31 now um i've had a lot of things happen since then but they kind of just want to focus on me when i was a kid Hmm. so part of me really wanted to tell him be like look this is who i really am this is how i really feel about these things this is what i really believe now um but i just don't know like what it would have done to him (laughs) so i i was also kind of like relieved that he that he passed with this idea of me Um, even though that seems kind of dark, but, um, I think it would have just been even worse if he find out the truth. Um, and I think it would have been really hard on him. Um, and maybe I should be thinking about myself more than his feelings about responding to things like that. But, um, yeah, I just don't know how he would have handled it. So you talked a bit about, um, you mentioned a little while ago um, that you've enrolled in seminary. Mm-hmm. Um, what has, um, what has that been like so far? And what, and, and what prompted that, that decision? 
Well, um, first of all, it's been great. Lexington is very progressive and affirming, um, not on paper, although I wish they would be, but they're all, you know, they are, they're just not on paper. Yeah. Um, and, um, it's been a really great growing, um, or, or period of growth for me, um, in many ways. Um, so it's been really, it's been really formative as well. The, what prompted it is, um, going to Eastwood, just getting really involved. And, um, you know, I was not only I, I'm the minister of music there. So I, I'm leading in worship, which has its own, like, um, responsibilities of like, you're, you're kind of feeding people theology by mm -hmm. what you pick yeah. to sing and to perform. And, How you're interpreting the yeah. scripture for that day or the yeah. sermon. Yeah. So, I mean, I, the, the kind of music that I maybe would have picked in the past changed because of the, the, my theology changing. And so, um, being able to go through and kind of like have those tools to discern like, oh, maybe this theology is not the best thing to be putting forth in worship. Yeah. Um, or maybe this doesn't really align with our views here at Eastwood. Hmm. So having the tools to do that was part of what prompted. Um, also being like the choir director <clears throat> is one of my responsibilities. And so I, I have like my own little flock <laughs> of hmm. like 20, 30 people. Um, on Wednesday nights and I have to like lead them in w way more than just music. Yeah. Um, I like found myself having to like having someone, um, tell me that their husband had, um, stage four cancer. And so how do I respond to them? How do I lead them in a prayer that is authentic and honest and not just like Christianisms of, of things that'll make them feel better. Mm -hmm. Um, how do I respond? How do I do like pastoral care for them? Because I kind of like feel responsible for them. Mm -hmm. um, also, like how do I lead them in stewardship? How do I lead them of their gifts and their time and talents? How do I lead them in worship? Like there's so many more things than I'm that I'm doing than just teaching them notes and rhythms. Mm -hmm. So yeah. that was another thing that I was like, I need to, I kind of want to explore this. Um, so getting involved, um, I was very much more involved in social justice than I'd ever been, um, at any other, uh, church because they really weren't that involved in social justice. So the Eastwood was, so being able to like go to marches, um, go to protests, go to things like that. Um, feeling like a call to ministry in a much more like tangible way at Eastwood. So I've been there since um, my first class I started was in, was in February of this year. So not even a full year yet. Okay. Um, but their classes are month to month. So oh, nice. you are like emerged in that subject for a month um, rather than like it spread out every Tuesday for a semester kind of thing. Yeah. So it's, it's had challenges, but it's been, it's been really great. That sounds yeah. really great. I, I was in the choir in college and afterwards, and I have definitely benefited from music ministers who have a, a, a capacity for the pastoral care piece. Mm -hmm. it, it, you're absolutely right. They are completely like your flock, like deep bonds are made in choirs. Yes. So you're also in charge of that. And mm -hmm. it's serious. Um, it, it can be really serious business. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's awesome. It's been um, <clears throat> it's been a a very challenging time for me too at Eastwood because coming into Eastwood, I had maybe become a little more progressive, like mm. politically and socially, but theologically, I a lot of my theology was still very rooted in that conservative fundamentalist so um, faith. So so it it was a hearing hearing certain themes of theology that I had not been exposed to <clears throat> was also a mm. a challenge for me um, and so I needed to also respond to as a like a job aspect to give them uh, worship that reflects their values 
So I'm curious, uh, what other projects are you working on um, outside of, you've got seminary kind of going on right mm -hmm. now. What else is what else is going on for Wesley um, at the moment? So um, one thing I've started in the past year um, is something I'm calling the Eastwood Worship Project. And based on the idea of like Hillsong, Hillsong is a community of faith in Australia and now all over the world. But I feel like most people probably know Hillsong because of the music. Mm -hmm. And so as a community of faith, their, their musicians and writers have born this, or birthed, birthed this um, almost sub-genre of, of Christian music um, that reflects them. So my idea was to do the same thing for Eastwood. So we have a ton of, since it's Nashville, we have a ton of amazing musicians and writers. And so we've been getting together and have been writing music for worship that is intentionally inclusive and progressive that's awesome. uh, in the themes of, of theology. Um, and so that's been really well received um, so far. It's still pretty new. Um, we wrote and and premiered several songs in July. And since then, um, some of that music has been sung all the way from Oregon to Florida, Ohio, Tennessee, uh, Minnesota, um, at other like-minded, affirming, progressive churches. Cool. So that's been a really cool thing. We actually met again in October to write more, and we're, we're gonna try and keep it, uh, keep this trend going. Um, and are just kind of interested in to see where that goes. Yeah. Um, it's been just a really fun project. Um, we've got so many great writers, um, and it's it's people that either are go to Eastwood, are members, or maybe visitors to Eastwood, or friends of Eastwood. So um, we're kind of basing it out of there, but yeah. it may grow to be something bigger than Eastwood. We'll see. Um, That's awesome. Yeah. Um, another thing that I'm working on right now is um, we did a God on Broadway series back in 2017 um, and we did the music of Les Mis and um, talked about um, theological truths that we find in that story of Les Mis yeah. um, and also talked about the talked about prison reform and the school to prison pipeline and um, and how how not only that story speaks theological truth but truth to our culture in then 2017 so I'm, I'm wanting to do that again um this time with the music from prince of egypt okay and talk about um maybe give uh, a, a perspective on uh the hebrew scriptures that i feel like a lot of christians lose hmm. um we maybe see god in the hebrew scriptures as being like um, vengeful and and dangerous and mm -hmm. raging and mm -hmm. and so maybe to give a perspective on um, how those stories would have been heard or um, would have been understood by a people who were oppressed and a people who maybe are the first time listeners and and using their context of of what their worldview and maybe how these stories would have been sounded to them. Uh, using the music from um, Prince of Egypt. That's awesome. So <laughs> that I really want to do that maybe in the beginning of 2020. Yeah. Um, and we always, we put like a big choir together, an orchestra, um, soloists, and we have like an almost like a narrator to kind of get us through the story. Hmm. And then uh, someone preaches and, and gives us a little theological insight. Cool. Yeah. So I that's that. those are two things that I'm like really excited about right now. Those are two really cool projects. Nice. Yeah. Coming from the perspective of um, of music specifically, how mm -hmm. would you characterize um, being out in Nashville as a musician? How is how is this city for you? Yeah. Um, so I'm also in a country trio. Okay. Um, a contemporary country trio called uh, Sweet Home Symphony. And um, you would be surprised at how affirming a lot of the musicians are in, yeah. uh, in Nashville. I, I was, I know I was surprised. Um, 
And as someone from Alabama who absolutely adores country music, yeah, um, you don't necessarily put those two things together with queerness and at least mainstream country music. But um, I think you're you're also seeing in Nashville a new generation of country musicians, mm-hmm. and a lot of them are very affirming. Yeah, and not just to their you know, their secret gay friends, but like Mm -hmm. on social media, letting people know that they are affirming by showing, you know, posting pictures at the pride parade or, or, um, on the day, uh, coming out day, like, you know, celebrating that with all of my queer friends. And so it's been really, um, not what I expected. Um, granted, you know, you can't, it's not always like that, but for the most part, I've been very pleasantly surprised at how affirming um, the music industry he- is here. That's kind of been my um, perspective on the country music scene here since I moved here. Is that yeah. it's there? There are enough artists that do speak out mm-hmm. for LGBT rights or pen songs with uh, you know different pronouns than you were expecting, and you're like, uh-huh. ah, that's. That's actually getting some airtime, and that's that's really great. And like that, I think that's a huge sign. Yeah, yeah. Well, there are a ton of queer writers mm. in Nashville. Yeah. Um, there are a ton of of really great writers who are gay or lesbian, um, and are big names in the writing field. So I think a lot of times these artists also, um maybe their perspectives have to change too. If they want to work with the best, they have to, you know, I think of like Shane McAnally being Mm -hmm. probably the biggest example. I mean, he's had hit after hit after hit. And so if you want to work with Shane McAnally, you're going to have to get over the fact that he's gay. Yeah. Um, He's just one of the best writers in town. So it's maybe opening them up too. Yeah. Which I think is awesome. That's really good. Yeah. I think also, since we're talking about like this country music, I think you see a lot of um, of country artists putting out like subtle messages mm. about I- inclusion. Um, I'm not a huge Luke Bryan fan, but he put out a song a while back that was like, um, I believe, um, I believe most people are good. Um, most mamas should qualify for sainthood or something like that. That's how it started. But one of the lines in the chorus is, I believe you love who you love. Ain't nothing you should ever be ashamed of. Mm. Yeah. Which I think is, a you know, a pretty broad message, but also, you know, who does that apply to? Yeah. Um, and then like Little Big Town putting out Girl Crush and like some mm. other things that are maybe challenging the kind of heterocentric Mm-hmm. idea of what we're writing about um i think of Marin morris brandy carlisle we've got way too much in common that, mm-hmm. that song mm-hmm. that was off our most recent record yeah um you know even stuff like that putting you know putting out a a duet with a with a out and proud lesbian yeah um about we've got way too much in common like that's important stuff for that especially for this genre yeah um to push them a little more towards inclusion and Affirmate, um, affirmation. I think it was awesome. Definitely. Yeah. God, love, love those two artists. Yes. To bits. Um, last question I want to ask is what is working for you right now? As far as you taking care of you, um, what's kind of like your self care, what's giving you life, um, right now? Yeah. Um, well, um, not, not necessarily right now because I'm packing up a house, but um, I've gotten into fitness in the last couple of years and, and working out um, is really something that I I like to kind of get in the zone and do. And yeah. it makes me feel better about myself. It makes me feel more energetic. Um, so fitness. Um, I also just love silence. You know, a lot of people get in the car and turn on the radio. I just like ride in silence because I have so much music going on the rest of my life. Yeah, I'm like, totally. I just love some time to just like sit and think and I don't really speak or maybe I have a conversation with myself. Um, but I love, <clears throat> I love that alone time. And yeah. um, I, I like take it very seriously. I also mm-hmm. take naps very seriously <laughs> on Sunday afternoons after two services at church. And, I bet. Yeah. And, you know, probably lay like a, when you have like a young adult lunch time that we all go to lunch, I take a good two or 
two to three hour nap. Good for you. And um, I take it very serious, very, very um, uh, religious in my nap taking. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so I'd say fitness and alone time and, and naps are working for me right now. Those are good things to, yeah. to fit into your schedule. I totally resonate with that. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, is there anything else that you want to share before we wrap up? Um, I don't think so. I've, I've just been really excited about this journey I've been on. Um, it's been a hard one, but I just think about where I was and where I am now and it's just vastly different. Yeah. And, um, <clears throat> as maybe as crazy as it sounds, as has how different it is. I'm so glad that I'm not in the same spot. Yeah. So just lean into the journey. Yeah. Well, thanks for doing that. Thanks for being who you are for living into that. And thanks for being on the show. Thank you. Appreciate it. A special thanks to Wesley for coming on the show. You can find him on Instagram at Wesley King Music. You'll find that link in the show notes along with other resources mentioned in this episode. I'm your host, Greg Thompson. Our editor is Carrie Ad Harmon, and our theme music is by JP Ruggieri. We recorded this episode here in Nashville, Tennessee at the We Own This Town studio. And a special thanks this week to Patreon members Sharon Kubinick, Caroline Ballard, Forrest Edens, and Kelly Hausk for their support. Remember, you can become a member and get access to exclusive digital content and merchandise starting at just $1 a month. Learn more at patreon.com slash outloudstories. You can also leave us a one-time donation over on Venmo at outloudstories. And if you haven't already, please be sure to leave us a rating or a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, hit that subscribe button so you get the latest episodes right when they drop. For more updates, you can find us on social media at Outloud Stories, and you can sign up for our email newsletter on our website at outloudstories.com. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode. In the meantime, remember friends, queer people have faith lives too. Don't let anyone tell you otherwise. Thanks for listening.